Well, what did you think? 11 baptisms. Was that awesome or what? And um, uh, the last wonderful young girl you saw get baptized is Ricky. She's in our special needs ministry. She's got a heart like you can't believe. Oh, it's so cool. And then Jennifer being able to be a part of her whole family being baptized. But there's another one I want to say hi to. Stephen McIntosh is right now watching in, in Salem, Oregon. And Stephen, you got to watch your son, Brett, baptize your daughter. I just thank you that we get a chance to have your family here. But man, praise God, you get to be a part of that. So Stephen, welcome. Oh, that's cool. As a matter of fact, uh, there's a, a, the online campus is doing amazing things. We're in the process of trying to arrange for a man who gave his life to Christ in the Philippines to fly here and be baptized. Uh, Brett's sister flew down from Oregon to be baptized. We had another lady come, uh, surprise me. She watches every week in Japan and considers this our church home. And she was here today. I mean, this just going beyond what we can imagine. Uh, there's a church in the Middle East that watches every single week. And I'm not gonna say where because of their protection, but, but I praise God they get to be a part of our Crossroads family. So welcome all of you who are online and get to be a part of that. Um, it's really cool. Uh, I also want to welcome everybody today who's new. I'm glad you're here. Love having you. I think that you're going to find this to be a place where we really center in on, on wanting to be the church God wants us to be, but means in particularly we, we tune into the Bible. Now, we've learned that through online social media, we can actually help create a movement that goes beyond the crossroads, beyond Corona, beyond this area. And so what I want you to know is, is we're getting more intentional about that than ever. Uh, some of you may have seen this and, and others may not know about it yet, but there's something we're doing. It's called hashtag choose to belong. Now it's coming up behind me and a hashtag is the pound sign, choose to belong. So if you go on Instagram or you go on Twitter and you go to search and you put hashtag choose to belong, up will come all the things that were posted under that. And so we've been having people do that for over a month and it's creating a stir in our area, but beyond our area. Now, what are we getting at when we say that? God created you and I to live life with others. God said it is not good for man to be alone. So he created a family, the church. You're gonna understand that more than ever as you read the story with us. But um, we want people to choose to belong. So in particular, that means that for one thing we want you to do is we want you to get a copy of the story, which is an amazing tool, an effective tool to understand scripture. And it's going to light you up. As a matter of fact, Thomas, who's a part of our church, he came up to me last night. He said, Pastor Chuck, he said, I, I just don't read. And I thought, okay, I'll do this. So he bought his copy. He started to look at it. He's already in chapter 10. Isn't that cool? So it's really going to help people that way. But we want you to get your own copy. And by the way, last night, Pam and I bought not only our own copy, we bought a copy for every one of our neighbors. We're going to go give this to them. And uh, so... Uh, Get your own copy, and then in September, we'll read a chapter. You'll come and hear me teach on a chapter. You'll hear about it. Then we want you to be in a place where you discuss it. So make sure you've got a group. If you need help getting a group, we'll help you get one. But, but we want you to read here and discuss this. The other thing, though, is all of this is about the Bible. And with what's occurred this past week, uh, I have just um, been brought back to the fact, looking at many of the things put on the Internet, that people don't know what the Bible is. People just do not know what the Bible is. A lot of the things, it's just showing that. And so uh, uh, some of our team got together and said, we need to create a stir with this. So you already caught the Bible is what? 
And we're asking people to give answers. And then we actually have a website called thebibleis.org. And uh, you can go there and it'll direct you to us so people can come here to know what the Bible is. And this already is working. Uh, Carly and a bunch of her friends were at Disneyland the other day wearing this shirt. And she watched people see the back and get their phones and go to thebibleis.org. So we can do that. So if you grab a shirt and go out there and create the stir, I think they're going to understand what the Bible is. Or at least the place they can come to to find out what the Bible is. So the story will do that. The Bible is, will do that. And you'll see that on billboards. We're really trying to get people's attention. And here's why. Because we want them to know about a loving God who cares about them. And so we're aiming at that direction. Now, today, we are beginning a short series before we start the story in the fall that is uh, called Oz. And uh, Mike Long and I have been reading in uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And Mike came up to me and he said, you know, I got to tell you, I am so struck by the, this word that's used over and over, O Zion. Get it? O-Z. O Zion. And, and here's why. The cry of the prophets was, I want God's will to be done. The cry of the prophets was, I want us to experience Zion, a place beyond imagination. The cry of the prophets and the cry of the Bible is that you and I would understand that God loves us so much that when we open our hearts to him, what's it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? That I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it ever entered into the heart of a man or a woman, all that God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared amazing things for you. He wants you to live a life that's beyond imagination. And here's what I want you to grab. God wants that for you now. He doesn't want you trapped in the ordinary when he has so much extraordinary for you. And we're going to start talking today and all this month about how you and I can begin to soar above and live that life. And we're going to use Oz to help us kind of picture that and do that, a land beyond um, uh, uh, imagination, a land somewhere, get it? I'm going to get real choosy. Somewhere over the rainbow. Is that cheesy? Yeah, some of you right now going, I am so embarrassed. I brought a friend. See, his jokes are worse. Um, but, you know, but, but here's the thing is when we live that life, it's beyond our imagination. It's beyond the black and white world. It's beyond the ordinary. We go somewhere over the rainbow. Let's pray about it. And we'll get ready to think and talk about that. Father, our father, our dad, you love us and you care about us and you want us to live a life that's amazing and extraordinary and incredible because it's with you. And how could we ever take a walk with you and not see something awesome? How could we ever live life with you and not see you take us beyond the ordinary? And how could we not understand sometimes that you take all things and turn them together for good and that becomes miraculous and you make everything beautiful in its time and that is amazing. And I pray today and in our coming weeks, if you tarry, that we, we grasp this understand this, and live this. In Jesus' name, amen.
up where the clouds are far behind me where troubles smell like lemon drops high above the chimney tops that's where I hope you grab your Bibles. You can see on the screen and in your notes where we're headed. There's a, a place that this life we're talking about came into view. It was at a junior high summer camp, and uh, one of my friends was the speaker there. And uh, he was so excited to get to speak at this camp. And he watched all the students as they came in on their church buses and cars and caravans, getting out and excited and brimming around. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced camp, summer Christian camp, but it's pretty cool. Uh, we teach God's word and study and, and help kids bond together in their relationships and make new friendships. And, and then there's always something that comes with summer camp. Anybody already know what it is? The camp romance, right? Yeah, there's the camp romance. And so obviously the kids get there and they're, they're looking at each other and wondering, you know, and, and they all went into this big chapel where they would uh, have their nightly services. And, and the leader of the camp, the director got up and began to tell them what they were gonna expect that week. So they're introducing the speakers and their kids are cheering and the worship leader and the kids are cheering and telling different events. And then he says, just like we do every year, on Thursday night, we're going to have date night. And the kids cheer and my friend's thinking, what? Date? It's junior high. I mean, that didn't sound like a good idea to him. And he looks over, he goes, what is this? And the guy goes, he'll explain it. And, and the, the director says, here's what's going to happen. Guys, by Thursday night, we want all of you to go to a girl and ask her to be your date. And then on Thursday night, you'll pick her up at her cabin door and walk her to the dining hall. We want you to open the door for her and, and escort her in. Then we want you to pull out her chair for her and seat her. And then guys, you're going to serve the girls and all the girls are cheering. And you're going to go get their food. And when it's over, you're going to clean up. Now the girls are really cheering. And then you'll escort her to the chapel. And then after chapel, we're going to have an event. And then you are to walk her to her cabin door. And uh, so, you know, all the kids are pumped and excited. And my friend's going, I know they're trying to teach manners, but this probably, you know, I don't know if it'll work. And he's kind of walking out thinking about it. Well, as the kids are coming out, this pretty big guy's walking along. He actually looked like a counselor, but he says to all the other guys around him, he says, guys, Marcy's mine. And he knew right away he's a junior high guy and that Marcy was his because he's so big. And then... Marcy comes walking out and uh, he knew that because the guy walked right over to her and there's this beautiful junior high girl standing there looking at this big guy and he gets a little awkward and he says, Marcy, uh, will you be my date for date night? And she said, no. 
<laughs> and all these people are standing around as he's just crashed and burned. And uh, she said, I already have a date. And he said, who? Meaning, who am I going to beat up? And, and, and then she said a guy's name. She said, Carrie. Well, my friend's standing there listening to all this, and the guy who had leans over and goes, do you know who Carrie is? And he said, no. He goes, you're about to see. And all the other kids had come out, and, and now Carrie's coming out. Carrie had to wait for the crowd to go because he can't walk really well. He kind of has to hold his arm like this, and he kind of moves with a, a dragging a foot. And when he was born, he was born with the disease that ravaged his body with tumors. It's the same disease, this may give you context, that the elephant man had. And he had endured surgery after surgery after surgery trying to save his life, but especially on the right side of his face, so that he had no hair and he was scarred beyond imagination. His lip just kind of hung. He had no ear. And uh, Carrie, to many people, looked grotesque. Marcy had gone to camp every year with Carrie. And so when she knew there was date night, she went to him and said, would you be my date? Isn't that cool? So Thursday night comes and it's date night. And uh, Carrie goes to pick her up and they make it to the dining hall, but he can't possibly open the door. So she opens it for him and they get inside and, and they get to the, the, the seating place and there's no way he can serve her. He can't carry his own tray. So she said, you sit down and I'll, I'll get our food. And she runs and gets it and brings it back. And then she did something that showed how intentional and how caring she was. She reaches into her purse and comes out with a, a, a quite a few eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper that are written on like crazy. And on it are one word answers. Now the reason she did this is Carrie, the way he had to eat, he had to eat kind of a mush. And so he would shove it in his mouth and have to cover his mouth so it didn't fall out. And, and she knew that, but she also knew he'd be nervous sitting there. What's he going to say? So she, on purpose, took away the whole uncomfortable situation. By, and this will date the story, so you'll know when this occurred. She looks at him and says, the first question, do you like Amy Grant? Remember Amy Grant, some of you? Do you like it? And he shook his head, yeah. She goes, oh, me too. And then she starts talking about her favorite song and when she saw her in concert and, and going on and on and on about that. And, and, and he's able just to kind of sit and eat as she talks away. But she's doing it so he can be a part of the conversation and yet not feel intimidated. She's just caring for him. Well, then after the, the meal's over, she cleans up and they go to the chapel and they worship together. And then after chapel, they go out to another area where they're having their event. And the event was called, and some of you have been through these, called the pig trough. If you don't know what the pig trough is, they take, we take rain gutter and we put it together in a huge rectangle and line it with tinfoil. And then we put ice cream in it and make it into the longest Sunday ever. And then we have the kids, what they do is take a bite and take a step, take a bite and take a step, which by the way, we don't do anymore because we get sued, but, um, but, but that's what, it's just kind of a fun event. And so when he saw that though, he realized I can't do this. I mean, he was horrified. I mean, with, uh, it was just wasn't going to work. And so though, what happened is she goes, oh, I don't want this either. Come on. And she goes and sits in a corner with them and, and one of the counselors sees and everyone's supposed to participate. So he goes, hey, you two get over here. And she waves the counselor off and he gets it. So now they're able to sit and talk. And then some of the other students look and see, and, and they walk over and go, what are you guys doing? And he gets kind of a crowd around him, and in the midst of it, he gives one of his answers, and, and one of the guys goes, I didn't know you were into that. I am too. 
And they all start talking about things Carrie loves. And that night, he was the center of attention for who he was on the inside. And maybe for the first time in his life in a healthy way. Well, then it came time to walk to the cabin door. And uh, that camp, being a very good Christian camp, stationed its counselors all around to watch. (laughs) Because we know how junior high and high school students can be extremely spiritual when it's dark. (laughs) And go off in twos to pray and speak in tongues. And uh, so, yeah, so we got to watch for that. We quench that spirit, you know, and... um, And so my friend happened to be on the pathway that led to their cabin, to Marcy's cabin. And so he, because of proximity and because of the mountain air, got to actually not only observe, but hear. And he said, as Carrie and her were going up the the walkway, even the uncomfortableness, he said, you could see how scared he was. And he gets to the cabin door and she turns and she starts to rub the side of his face that's scarred gently, just touching him. And she looked at him and said, Carrie, every year I look so forward to camp so we can see each other. And I want you to know I think you're one of my dearest friends. She kissed him on the cheek and ran inside. And my friend told me that he looked like he floated down the pathway. (laughs) Well, he ended up calling me to say, hey, you got to hear what happened and told me about it. And I said, that is awesome. I can't believe it. And then a few days later, he called and said, remember I told you about Carrie? And I said, yeah. He said he passed away. But one of the last things he experienced in life was a young girl who would touch his face gently and lovingly and pour love into his heart. I've always said this whenever I tell this story. It's one of my favorite true stories. But here's what it is. What do you call someone like Marcy? You call her a Christian. Isn't that right? You call her a Christian. You get a glimpse of what life's supposed to be like. This girl wasn't going to be caught in the ordinary. She would go to the extraordinary. Now, I know that a lot of times I share stories like this, and and it's okay, but there are some of you who go, is that really true? You know why? Because that kind of living is beyond imagination. That kind of life only happens when God is involved. But by the way, all of us who've been Christians very long, we see this happen again and again and again. Why? Because God's called us to live a life of transformation, a life empowered by him, a life with his love emanating out. And when that happens, we are taken beyond the normal and beyond the extraordinary. And so what happens is we live an extraordinary life. And God wants that for you, and he wants it for me. And so as we begin to talk about this now in the coming weeks, let me have you think about this. When when we actually live the Christian life, when we're who God wants us to be, there are many things that occur, but I think three. Three shine out in such an incredible way that even our enemies get amazed and say, that's what I always thought it should be. Now, what are these three things? Because there's many, but what are these three in particular? Let me give you the first one. Christians love above all. Christians love above all. That makes us incredibly extraordinary. And that causes us to have God do things in our life that are beyond imagination. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, Above all, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Above all, love with fervency. And why? Because that kind of love covers everything. Now, if I have an above all kind of love and you have an above all kind of love, you know what that means? That means that no matter what you do, I will never give up on you. That kind of love says I am just not gonna give up on you no matter what you do or what you've done. 
because I just have above all love. It also means this, if I have above all love, then nothing will cause me to wish the worst for you. I'll always hope the best for you. I'll always want that for you. Why? Because that kind of love covers a multitude of sins. It just wipes it out. It can't be seen. You know, it's like you put on love-colored glasses and you just can't see anything but the possibilities or the potential or the beauty or the good. And you want that for people and wish it for them and desire it for them. And when you have someone love you like that, oh man, it's amazing. In 1 Corinthians 13, Tim Coop preached a few weeks ago on this passage. And he said, we need to grab this. We need to live this. And what's it say about this kind of love? Verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly and does not seek its own and is not provoked. Catch that. This kind of love is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth. This love, verse seven, listen, this love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And it says this love never fails. It never fails. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Solomon said, when you have love like this, nothing can stop it, nothing can quench it, nothing can overcome it. He said in Song of Solomon 8, 7, many waters cannot quench love, nor will rivers overflow it. If a man were to give all the riches of his house for love, it would be utterly despised. In other words, it it just takes over everything, no matter what. And that kind of love is amazing, and that kind of love is embracing, and that kind of love shines out in a way that people can't miss it. I, uh, one time, was facing a situation where I was going to be in the room with a man that I felt like I'd hurt. I knew I'd hurt him. And uh, we hadn't had a chance to talk yet, although I knew I was wrong. I had repented. I needed to apologize. But I was hoping for that moment where I could say that I'm sorry and not just be an apology and be more. And, and then I end up having to go to this particular place where he's going to be and amongst other people. And I thought, oh, man. Have you ever been like that where you just feel so, you're just like, I don't know how to handle this. And I tell Pam, pray with me. I got to be honest, I, I was a little bit fearful. And I thought, I just would love to get him aside and, and I don't know if that's going to happen. And so we show up and we get there and he right away was just who I thought he'd be. He was gracious and kind and, and not going to let anybody know there was an issue and, and we're all in this room and I don't have a chance to talk with them and, and yet we're all interacting great. And then I finally got a chance to get him aside. And I said, hey, I don't want this just to be words. But man, I'm sorry. And he looked at me and said, Chuck, it's okay. I said, no, no, I'm really, and he cuts me off. He goes, Chuck, I know that's not you. I know that's not what you would mean. I know that's not who you are. I've already let it go. I know you better. I think better of you. He just wiped it out. Do you know what it's like to be like around someone like that? Who just loves like that? It's freeing, it's wonderful, and it's Christ-like. It's Christian. You know you've been in the presence of a Christian when they love like that. And, and I gotta tell you, it's beautiful. And, and so Christianity shines out when we love above all. How about the second thing? Christianity shines out when we truly forgive. Christianity shines out when we truly forgive. It's another way the beauty of Christianity is found. This is where Jesus is just seen in a way that's unhindered because we're people who forgive. 
Uh, I want to have you make sure you're in Luke 23. But in this passage, there's a, a part of it I've realized a lot of people miss. And when you miss it, you miss the power of it. But, but what it is, is we see who Jesus is and how he loves when he's brought to the cross and he looks at the people in front of him and what he says about them, what he prays for them, what he desires for them, what he intercedes with. And many of you know it, but, but I want to have you make sure you catch all of it. In verse 33, it says this. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was, now catch this is the key word, was saying, was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Now, now, did you catch that? He didn't, it would not go, Jesus said. Do you, do you see the difference? He was saying. This is a big deal. It really is. If he said it, what would that mean? It means one time, Father, forgive them. If he's saying it, what's it mean? He's repeating it over and over and over again. With the blood dripping from his head, his his wrists and his feet, not hardly able to breathe. He's looking down and he looks at the man who nailed him to the cross and says, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. To the one who's screaming and yelling curses at him, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And he's saying it over and over and over and over. And this is the most important part of all. You ready? How many of the people ask for forgiveness? I'm going to ask you to respond back. How many of those people ask for forgiveness? None, none. Did you catch it? Here's what gets wild. Are you ready? You and I can forgive even when people don't ask for it. Are you ready for this? We can forgive when they don't deserve it. You might go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Matter of fact, you ready? We do forgive when they don't deserve it. Why? Because God forgave me when I don't deserve it. And, and, and why would I ever hold anything against you? I mean, that's the whole idea of it. As a matter of fact, this is what you need to grab hold of. This is actually something, again, I, I don't want you to walk out of here with because it could keep you from living the amazing life if you don't get this truth. You and I are called by God, and by the way, he will empower you and I to forgive, period. To forgive, period. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and, are you ready for what's next? Starting in verse uh, 12, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, almost all of us in the room know that. But do we know what's next? Verse 14, if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But, if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive your transgressions. Now, I'm going to ask you, don't play mental Olympics with this. Don't try to explain it away. By the way, I promise you, I'm not going to. God, through Jesus Christ, is telling us something powerful and important. And that's this. If I am forgiven by God, I must forgive others. If I am offered God's forgiveness, but I refuse to forgive anybody else, God says that I am not forgiven. I will not have my sins cleansed. It's just not going to happen. Andrew Jackson, when he was president of the United States, had an incredible number of enemies. After he left the presidency, he and his wife moved to the city of Chicago. She was an on-fire Christian. He had had many Christians pour into his life, but never had crossed the line of faith. And so they were attending church together. And then President Jackson decided he wanted to become a Christian and he wanted to join the church. And back in that day, are you ready? We didn't ask people to come forward. You had to actually have the pastor interview you and accept you. 
Could you imagine that? And so he makes an appointment with the pastor and meets with them. And the pastor said, Mr. President, I need to know what your view is on Jesus Christ. And he had the right view on Jesus Christ. I need to know what you believe about the Bible. And he had the right view on the Bible. And then he went through some other doctrinal issues. And then he said this, Mr. President, have you forgiven your enemies? And President Jackson said, I have forgiven all my enemies of war, but I have not forgiven all my political enemies. And I cannot and I will not for some of the things that they've done. And the pastor said, then you cannot be a Christian and you cannot be a member of this church. He denied him. And before you go, oh, that pastor's so wrong, think about what the Bible teaches. To give him false hope, to allow him that would not be true faith. Well, over the next two months, President Jackson attended church anyway, even though they wouldn't accept him. And at the end of the service, he did something out of the norm for that church. He could not contain himself. He stood up and said at the very end, Pastor, Pastor, please, I want you to know now I see if Jesus Christ would forgive me, I have forgiven my enemies. I forgive and I forgive everyone and I forgive completely. And the pastor said then, Mr. Jackson, Mr. President, welcome to our church and we're glad to have you as a fellow Christian. You see, that, that's right teaching. And before you go, well, Chuck, I don't think you're right. I want you to think about a story Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. Most of us know it. Most of us know it, but I want you to think about the words of it. And, and, and starting in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And the rabbis taught that, that a righteous man would forgive six times, and you could even forgive a seventh time, and you're very righteous. But after seven times, you don't have to forgive anymore. So Peter says, I am willing to be a very righteous man and forgive seven times. Isn't that great? And Jesus goes, No. No. Verse 23, or verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 490 times. Now you and I already know he didn't mean that. You know, some of you are going, oh, I thought he did. I've got a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. And some people are at 384. And uh, you know, that's not the case. You know what Jesus was saying? We just forgive. And then he tells the story of a man who owed an extreme amount of money and a king called him in and said, you need to pay me. And he said, I can't pay you. He said, well, I'm throwing you into prison then. And the, the man pleads and pleads and says, please forgive me. And knowing there's no possible way he could ever repay, the king forgives him. That's what it says right here. That's what Jesus goes on to say. And then the man, what does he do? He leaves the presence of the king and he finds a man who owes him a, a kind of small amount and he grabs him and chokes him and he says, pay me back. And the guy says, let me find a way. He goes, no, I won't. And he throws him into prison where there's no possible hope of freedom. And the fellow slaves see it and they go to the king and tell him what happened. And the king, it says, starting at verse 32, summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord was moved with anger and handed him over to the torturers. He originally was meant for prison. Now he's to be tortured until he should repay all that was owed him. Verse 35 is the key. Don't miss this. Underline this one. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from the heart. Not just forgive, but forgive from the heart. Now, Jesus is clear on this, but let's talk about it. You see, I am not oblivious to the fact there are some of you in here who have been treated 
horribly. And, and by the way, those aren't even enough. The words aren't enough to talk about what you went through. The pain. I, I, I tell you, my, sometimes I grieve to my soul when I hear what some of you have gone through. But here's what God is saying. I am going to forgive you completely and I'm going to give you the power to do something that will free you from that. You see, when you and I do not forgive, that means that thing or that person or that incident or that evil, that ends up defining us, dominating us, and dictating our life. When you and I forgive, you take all the power of that away. There's some wives in here, you've got to forgive your husbands. As a matter of fact, maybe it's an ex-husband. There's some, some husbands in here, you've got to forgive your wives or your ex-wives. There's some of you have brothers or sisters. You've got to just forgive them. There's some, it's your mom and dad. You're an adult child and, and you're just going to have to say, God, I'm, I choose to forgive. Some, it's your children. You know, and, and I want to tell you that, that there's people in your life who, who are going to do it. And while I would never pretend that what I've gone through is equal to what some of you have, I just got to tell you, we all have people we have to forgive. And God says when we do, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, it's incredible. Are you ready for this? It gives you freedom. It takes it all away. And something happens when you're a forgiving person. Tim Coop, uh, who uh, is one of my mentors, especially in my early days of Christianity, and I've said this and I mean it. Tim is the, one of the most, is the most maybe Christ-like man I've ever met. And uh, when I was uh, away doing another ministry and away from Crossroads, I found out that Tim was under attack. There was a man that was attacking Tim to no end. His, I don't know why. I still to this day, I knew the man. I have no idea what got him so upset, but he wanted Tim destroyed. And I called Tim to see if he was okay, and he would not even hardly discuss it. Not just like, oh, you know, he's got some hurt in his life, and he just gave him the benefit of the doubt. And the guy got vehement about it. But here's what I want to have. Don't miss this. Hebrews 12 teaches us that the root of bitterness will grow to every area of your life. You can't be bitter against just one person without it affecting everything. And so this man became a very bitter person. And uh, his wife hit the place she couldn't stand it and she left him his daughter who I know and still see his daughter was so hurt by him and I've talked to her about forgiving but what happened is when she got engaged she sent him a letter saying do not come to my wedding he lost everybody and everything about affect his business because he was so bitter then I came on staff here and I was in the midst of moving around the Corona area and bumped into a woman who I knew that was a nurse. She said, I saw Tim at the hospital today. I said, you did? I didn't know anybody from Crossroads was there. And she said, yeah, he was visiting. And she named the man's name. Tim heard he got sick and he went right down to the hospital to be with them. He was so sick he would never recover. And Tim doesn't tell anybody this, but I want to tell it to you. Tim was the only person to visit this man in the hospital, period, but he visited him consistently and with care and treated him with love till he died. And you know what you call a man like that? You call him a Christian. That's a Christian. And I gotta tell you, I look at that and I'm amazed at that and I think that's the beauty of Christianity. We just love that way. We just love. And, and, and God wants that for us. So we love above all, we truly forgive. The third thing, Christians bestow honor. Now, now you might understand why I'm getting into this in a minute, but we bestow honor. It's a big part of what we do. Uh, Romans 13 verse 7 says this, Render to all 
whom what is due to them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom is due, fear to whom fear is due, and honor to whom honor is due. In other words, we honor when we have that opportunity to the right place and the right people. God wants us to do that. You know, a ministry that does that phenomenally is generate. Generate does that. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, I, about four times a year, I preach at Generate and, and then I'll show up other times. And man, the way I get treated with such honor. Every time I've walked on the stage, they give me a standing ovation. Do I tell Ronnie and Natalia they're supposed to do that? You bet I do. No, not really. No, I don't do that. That's just Ronnie and Natalia. They honor. They just show honor like that. Their team shows honor like that. They just do that. You know, and, and I got to tell you, there's something beautiful and incredible about that. Uh, Talia, who's our chief of staff, one of her favorite things to do is to go sit with uh, Laverne Parks, who's in her 80s right now, and just have Laverne share wisdom in her life. Not too long ago, Talia was just giddy, and I said, what's going on? And she just could not wait to be in Laverne's presence because Laverne was going to pour wisdom into her life. And by the way, I just found this out today, and Laverne's not, her eyes aren't as good. And so when she was there the last time, Laverne asked Talia and Kathy Roberts, would you just read the love letters that Dale had given me? And they sat there in awe of this kind of a thing and learned, and they paid honor to Laverne. Shouldn't they honor Laverne? You see, that's what Christians do. We pay honor. By the way, listen to this, Leviticus 19.32. You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged, and you shall revere your God, for I am the Lord. Did you hear the first part? You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. I read this to our staff all the time as my beard's turning gray. I uh, got to meet Rabbi Kayim Richmond. He's one of the heads of the Temple Institute. He walked up with, you know, the hat and the long hair and the curls and, and he and I are talking and, and I find out he has six children and I think like 27 grandchildren. And I go, you have six kids? He goes, oh yeah, it's a good start. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but he looks so young. And I said to him, but Rabbi, you look so young. And he looked at me, he was so sad. He goes, I know, I'm so sad. And I said, why are you sad? And, he, and I didn't know this, but here's what you're ready. In their area of tradition, ultra Orthodox rabbi, to be considered a luminary, you have to have all gray hair and a completely gray beard. And he doesn't know why God will not let him turn gray. He's just, I don't know why God will not bless me with gray hair. Some of you out there are going, God gave me gray hair, but I'm hiding it. You know, and, uh, but he wants it badly. Why? Because they honor in that way. See, honor's right out of the Bible. It's big to everything we do. We just pay honor to people. Uh, how about this? First Peter 3, 7. You husbands... You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. And it says, as with someone weaker. It doesn't say she's weaker. It says you treat her gently, since she's a woman. And show her honor. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Uh, now, 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 grab that. In that day and time, wives were not honored. Women were not honored. And Christians shined out. Why? Because husbands honored their wives. By the way, guys, let me just say this. If every man is a part of Crossroads would genuinely honor your wife, do you know what would happen? Every woman in this area would want her husband to attend here. Isn't that true? There'd be women dragging their husbands in. See how he acts? See how he acts? You know, and, uh, but because there's something, by the way, I got to say this. When I honor Pam, I just, I do. I love her. I want to honor her. But I got to tell you the emails I get. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know why? Not because of me. Something's beautiful about honor. And by the way, guys, let's, let's honor our wives. And, and real quickly, I didn't say this in the other service. All you fathers who have daughters, you show that kind of honor to your daughter. 
you honor your daughter and make sure she only will go with the guy who honors her. You, that's just, that's my little parenthesis. So, First Timothy 5.17, another area of honor. The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. The elders who rule well, who work hard at teaching and preaching, you give them not just honor, but double honor. Uh, next week, we get a chance to do that. Barry McMurtry is going to be here. And I, I cannot wait. I've been praying for this day. I want him to know how loved he is and how much we want to honor all that God has used him to do. I really, really do. Some of you don't know who Barry is, but he was the former, uh, he was the pastor ahead of me, the senior pastor. And, and some of you aren't aware of this, but Barry was actually the senior pastor of the largest independent Christian church in Australia. And then Crossroads had Tim Coop leave. God called him on. And so they began to search. And what happened is they contacted Barry. And I want to tell you, that was a big risk. He left a lot larger church to come to a church that was on Rancho and Maine on like two acres. Even though we had this, they weren't able to get off it. There were a lot of challenges. And he came in and God used him. And at a time that it was almost impossible, the, the property sold and the church moved up here. And then are you, some of you don't know this, but some of you do. And the church met in a tent, a tent. And I hear all these stories about how incredible the tent was, how wonderful the tent was. How many of you were a part of the tent? Gosh, not very many of you. I'll tell you, the tent though I heard was awesome. Like my favorite story about the tent was one time it was raining so hard. It was like a river was running underneath and nobody left. All the people just held their legs in the air and Barry taught and nobody left. But then he taught on a corded microphone. You could die doing that. And you know, I hear all these stories of people coming to Christ and the church coming together in the tent. And then the first building project was done and this one was done and and you know, under his ministry, thousands of people, the church tri tripled in size. And, and lots of people's lives and marriages were transformed. Why? Because this is a man of honor. You know, you know I, I want to say, let's just get it out there. Were, were there some missteps? You bet. I have missteps. Do you have missteps? Yes. You know, what, is, what does love do? Love covers a multitude of sins. and we, we don't care about those. What do we care about? We care about the fact he was a man used by God to preach and teach and love and pastor. And when he walks on this stage, I want us to love him. I want him to know that's what we look at. Yeah. Doug Husen said, I just want to share some things Barry's done. And, and he shared something I didn't know about. Uh, years ago when Barry was here, a young couple uh, drove up to their house in Norco. And uh, they, they were so dead tired, all they could think is, I need a nap. It was one of the hottest days of the year that year. As a matter of fact, Maureen was telling me it was 115 degrees outside. And they went in and they crashed and took their nap. And when they woke up, they were horrified because each one had thought the other one brought the baby in. And it was too late. It was just too late. And I mean, the shame, the guilt, they were broken beyond understanding. All of us who are parents, there's nothing would be more devastating than that. And uh, when Barry heard, he rushed over. Well, the news media had beat him there. They were all, all just camped out with the cameras and everything on their lawn. And he ran them off. And he went inside to find two people who were broken beyond belief. And he began to love on them and bring the comfort of God in a place where how could you even receive that? And then he realized, I can't leave. The husband in particular, he's going to harm himself. 
And so Barry stayed with them and wouldn't leave until he made sure that there was someone watching them until they could finally get a grip. And I want to tell you, I don't know how you come back from that apart from the love of Christ and apart from a church that cares. And the men of this church rallied around him, the women of the church rallied around her, and they let them know, we want to walk with you through the most painful thing you can imagine. And they ended up making it. They're still married. They've had more children. They're walking with Christ. They've been able to let God pour forgiveness on them. They've actually, because of the power of Christ, been able to forgive themselves, which, again, that's what Jesus wants us to do. And the fact that that church was like, this church was like that, the fact that Barry was a part of that, you know what that is? That's Christian. And there's something beautiful that we gather together and rally around people in the greatest times of brokenness. You know why? Because Jesus wants to do that with us. And he wants you and I to be his hands. He wants us to be his arms. He wants us to be his mouth. He wants us to care and love and encourage. And he wants us to know in the midst of our worst moments of life, whether we've inflicted them on ourselves or someone has inflicted them on us, that the love of Christ can transform that into something beautiful. And we just love, we forgive, we honor and we live with him. You know, uh, today's a pretty heavy message. But I've been praying and praying there's some of you today who would actually get set free. I've been praying and praying that this message would be for some of you in here who's had some bitterness in your heart because of what's done to you and and you don't want it there and you're wondering how to let it go and today the Holy Spirit's gonna move. And I'm really praying for such a miracle that you walk out those doors and it's gone. It's just like, it's gone. Some of you, it's hurt. You've been hurt badly. And I'm hoping that God brings healing to you today. Some of you, by the way, you know what it is? You need faith. You need to come to know a God who loves you in a real way. By the way, if you're brand new, let me tell you, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. It's me interacting with Jesus in such a way that he says, Chuck, love. And then he says to you, love and forgive and live. And and then God begins to, to actually honor us, which blows my mind. And he wants it for you. And today, no matter what your need is, if you're not in an intimate relationship with the Lord, no, for whatever reason, if you're not in a place where you're on fire for him and you're living a life beyond imagination, maybe something's got you where you're just not there. Or you've never entered into this. I want to tell you what you need to do today. You need to open your heart to the Lord. You need to pray a prayer to him and tell him, I want this love. I want this life. I want this freedom. I want to live a life beyond imagination with you. And you know what it says in Psalm 23? If you and I do that, then surely goodness and mercy will chase you down. God will chase you down with goodness, chase you down with mercy, and pour it upon you. And that's what we want for you. That's what I want for you. So how do you you enact that in your life? You pray a prayer. You tell him. So we're going to go to a time of prayer. I'm going to ask God just to stir. And then if you're ready today to say yes to God or to recommit, I'm going to ask you to whisper that prayer with me right where you're sitting. We'll just pray it together. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your presence more than ever to be revealed right now. I pray, oh God, you would touch people who need you. The one who's hurting and has justified being bitter and angry, God, I pray today they would take that trembling hand and open it up and let you take it away. Father, I pray you'd be with them. Father, for the person who's sitting here today and they don't want to hold on to it. They've tried again and again to let it go, but it comes back. 
God, I pray you'd help them. And today they'd walk out free. The burden would be lifted. They'd feel lighter right in this moment. Father, for the person who, they just, Lord, have hurt and ache and loneliness inside, I pray love would flow in. And so God, I pray that you're right now gonna start touching people who need to say yes to you. Maybe somebody for the first time sitting here and they know, wow, this is real. God, I pray today they'd open up and give their life to you. For the person who needs to come back, Lord, I pray that they right now would say, okay, I wanna be back in that place of love and life and they would open up and say yes to you. God, for the person today who they're, they're thinking, I just don't know if I could make it. I pray today they're gonna walk out of here knowing that you turn all things for good. So Lord, I'm gonna ask right now that your Holy Spirit start touching people. And I pray there's some people right now who are ready to say yes to you. I'm gonna ask if you're right with God, would you start praying for anybody today who needs to make this commitment? But for some of you today, today's gonna be the day that you, grow, you come to know the Lord or you come back to his love. Today's the day for some of you to find real healing or to find something you can't even believe and live that life beyond imagination. It may not anything bad in your life. It's just not incredible. And if you would say yes to God today, it's about to all change. So right now I'm gonna lead a prayer and I'm gonna ask, would you pray it with me? It's the first step in coming to him. I'm going to ask you between you and God, but do this with me. Let's just whisper these words. If you're ready to say yes to God, then say these words. Say this. Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross so that I would be forgiven, so that I would be healed from all hurt, so that I would be free, free from my past, free from myself and free from fear. And I know you love me. So I want to open my heart to you. I want to be yours. And I say yes. Say those words. I say yes. I want this life. So please take me now and fill me with your love and fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me completely yours. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, praise God. Praise God.